Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas, and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere, and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear, nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Welcome, everybody. Tonight, i got a great guest for you. His name is Isaac Tien. Isaac Tien is a member of the Olympic Project, and Isaac has a background in computer science. Isaac was recently on a show called The Proof is Out There, which aired on the History Channel. So be sure to check that out. But tonight, we delve into Isaac's work in stabilizing portions of the Paris Gimlin film, which was showcased on the show The Proof is Out There. So sit back, relax, enjoy as we get down to the nitty gritty and look at Isaac's fantastic work on the Patterson-Gimlin film. Hey everybody, welcome to Monstrex Radio and welcome Isaac T into the show. How you doing, man? Hey, pretty good, pretty good. Hey, man, I'm really stoked to have you on the show. You've been, uh, I know you've been busy with your endeavors with school, but for the audience, for the audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what got you into the, this uh, Sasquatch topic, the Sasquatch subject? So my background's all in computer science and engineering. I'm a programmer by training. I uh, went to college at University of California, Berkeley, did electrical engineering computer science there. Uh, now, currently, I'm in Seattle. Go to the University of Washington, getting my PhD, also in computer science, uh, mainly focusing on computer graphics, computer vision. So artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, video processing, image processing, mostly focusing on medical image applications. So uh, correlations with x-rays, MRI, body composition, body shape, uh, all that stuff. A lot, of, a lot of medical motivations publishing in medical crossover journals. Yeah, so I'm not really like a biologist or a zoologist or any of the usual faces you might see on some of your shows, but yeah, I do a lot of science, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm published currently and published slash and publishing a lot of papers in the, uh, in the mill, just trying to grind them out. Everything's been kind of slow recently, holidays and COVID and all. So yeah. Uh, how I got into all this. Um, geez. Uh, started with just seeing guys like Jeff uh, Meldrum on TV uh, right. You you have to have some kind of uh, some kind of gateway drug. And for me, it was was seeing Jeff talk about his work on TV, uh, really getting the perspective of, hey, like this is a professor and, and not, not not just the letters behind his name. Right. It's not just, oh, yeah, he's a you know Dr. Jeff Mosher, Ph.D., but everything he was saying, the way he lays it out, the way he um, makes it accessible and, and clear to, to an audience. And it really reaches out to people who have a genuine interest in, this, in, the, to- in the topic. And, yeah, I mean, I saw him when I was in high school. Uh, many many years ago, yeah, I thought, hey, that's, that's pretty cool, right? This guy's got a lot to say. Uh, I didn't really care for a lot of the other episodes, you know. I, th- I, th- I thought Monster Quest is a really well done show. Way back then, when I was in high school, uh, I watched it all the time. I didn't wasn't really interested in most most of the uh, top most of the topics, uh, except for when when Jeff was on, right? And uh, and I, I thought the Bigfoot top uh, the Bigfoot episodes are the best ones because they always had the, the most material to look at. They always had the most concrete zoological basis i felt like so it was always kind of that curiosity uh for the longest time 
And then after I got out of college, I actually emailed Bill uh, for the first time because I read his book at the time. And that was my introduction to the Patterson Gimlin film. Because when I was a kid, I thought it was a picture. Right? Everybody sees that frame 350. I think it's actually three, frame 354, according to Bill. There's some, some a couple frames that people were missing from the beginning. So everybody calls it 352, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the, the, the famous look back. One. Oh, yeah. 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 So I, I thought it was just a picture. And, you know, anybody can fake any picture, right? You can, you can do a clay model and stick it on a background and just take a picture or whatever. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, I didn't know it was a, it was a minute long film until, geez, at least in college, probably maybe after. Uh, so then I got kind of, I kind of got kind of curious about it going back to hearing Jeff talk and connecting all the dots. So I read his book. I read all, all his uh, PDFs, all his publications on his website and some of his joint papers with Jeff on the RHI. So you know, doing all the academic stuff, digging in, digging in, digging into the background, and getting citations, looking at my citations, and just uh, doing a lot of uh, background reading. And I thought, hey, I should probably talk to this guy and uh, ask him if he's got anything he's willing to share. Because I also happened to, at the time I was just going to grad school uh, many you know, all those years ago uh, for computer vision at the time, computer graphics. And I thought, hey, maybe I could pick some skills up and. Uh, help him help help him work on the film and at the time it was just a film right because i don't really do a whole lot of you know me i don't really do too much field work so you mentioned bill munns and just for the audience a lot of people don't know i mean unfortunately don't know who bill munns is but he's a professional hollywood special effects and makeup artist filmmaker Uh, he's done work on films such as you know the creature from the black lagoon king kong and it goes on and on and on and if you guys really want to know some of his or learn about some of his work and dive into that, check out his uh, website, www.themunsreport.com. That's www.themuns, M-U-N-N, report.com. And he also wrote a book. He spent, Bill Munn spent seven years studying the Patterson-Gimlin film, and he eventually accumulated uh, all of his uh, work, went towards a book called When Roger Met Patty. Absolute must um, if you can read the book, check out the website, the mungereport.com, check that out and then go back and watch what we're going to get into again, you know, on the history channel, the, the proof is out there where Isaac Keen here was, uh, a guest on and, and shared some of his work along with Dr. Meldrum and Bill Munz. You'll get a better picture of, uh, what's been going on behind the scenes and the real tedious and hard work done on the film. Yeah, I emailed him. We started talking over the course of four or five years. We just chatted back and forth every now and again. He was also doing a startup company uh, involving deep learning with GPU programming uh, in Vietnam at the time. So, and and he had transitioned to, to computer graphics as a uh, as a computer graphics artist. A little bit different different from computer graphics as a research uh, computer science you know, programming. Uh, right side but he was doing the, the graphic art thing uh, side of it but he was making uh 3d art with computer graphics in the early 2000s or whatever so we had some uh crossover interest and a lot of shared uh shared interest and kind of think alike i guess in that way so we we're just chatting about a lot of stuff uh and then a couple years ago i think it was probably not more than a couple it was like 2017 at this point i asked him hey uh you got anything for that i could help you with because i you know I've, i'm a couple of years into getting my getting my uh doctorate and Feel like I can maybe help you out. You know, I, I came. In, I, I prod him about this probably once every couple of months, and then this time he gets back to me. And says, "Yeah, I got this idea. I got all these copies of film, and as you know, all the all the different copies are degraded to some extent. Some of them are um, have scratches or damages, uh, and every time you copy the film, you're losing some amount of the detail." And he said, "Well, if I could take all my copies and align them together and then add them together, then it's like what we showed on the on the uh, on the show. On the, uh, the proof is out there. If you can do that." you're adding in all the different parts of all the different films to, to try to get back to what the original was because we don't have the original, right? We have, we have many pieces of the original. Uh, and he says, the problem with that is that he, it would take him a crew of, you know, 20, 30 guys, 6,000 hours to do it because you're talking hundreds of frames and 20 uh, something copies. Right. Uh, and I said, well, hang on, hang on a minute. Uh, because his block was, he needed the people, he needed the funding. And I said, well, okay, uh, I could probably program something to do that for you in about a week. If you just hand me the frames. And at the time I didn't really know him in person and I didn't feel comfortable pressing him on this. So that just didn't happen for a while. And I would, I would have had to get my hands on one of his hard drives. Uh, so that kind of got put off for a while. And, you know, we kept on 
emailing back and forth every time something came out on TV. I'm like, Hey, did you see that? Yeah. You know, what, what are they talking about? Yeah. Whatever. And we, we kind of just you know, shoot, shoot the crap with each other. And then uh, last year, uh, well, two years ago, I actually met him. Uh, I was visiting around where he was living and I said, Hey, you want to get lunch? So I met him, we chatted, you know, did a couple more idea exchanges. Uh, didn't really bring up doing the film then again, because I didn't want to press him uh, uh, for too much. And then last year, 2020, I was going to Yellowstone with my family. And if you know about going to Yellowstone, you got to fly to Salt Lake City, drive north, uh, and you can pa- you pass by Pocatello. So I shot Jeff an email, and I said, hey, I'm in the area. <laughs> can I visit? Can I check out your lab? I saw something I've always wanted to do. You know, big <laughs> yeah. fan of, big fan of your work. Um, he didn't really know me that well at the time, right? Like, I probably I shot him a couple emails uh, here and there, and I'm, everybody shoots Jeff emails. So I was like, "Hey, uh, from from one graduate student to a professor, can I can I visit your lab? I'm really interested in your research." And that's standard, just standard kind of email. And I dropped by with my girlfriend. We visited and we chatted with him for like three hours. Uh, and then I eventually brought up the topic of the film, and I said, "Hey, man, uh, if you, if you get any uh, any outlets to show this uh, that we can get funding for, you know, maybe if you get some get some incentive to get this work done, I'm willing to front it because it's like it'll probably, I told him it'd probably take me about a week or two. Um, I know." I knew of the techniques that, that it would take to get it done. Cause what Bill was describing was basically uh, feature matching and alignment, which is something I literally did for one of my homework assignments uh, during computer vision class. I said, yeah, that stuff is like pretty simple to do. If you, if you know, if you know the tricks or if you know, know how to use the tools. And then Jeff surprised me and he said, Hey, I, I have a backup of everything that Bill just, Bill's done just in case his house burned down or something. Right. And, and we, we don't want to lose all that work. Uh, right. So you want it? I said, Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're willing to part with that, so you're taking a big leap of faith here. But yeah, if you're willing to give me your, your, uh, your backup copy of all the PGF data, then sure, I'll, I'll go to town on it. So he hands me the drive. And then, uh, yeah, I go back. I put it off for a couple of months because I kind of forget about it. And it was middle of COVID and I had a lot of work to do. Um, but beginning of this year, uh, he, he comes around and asks me, uh, hey, did you do anything with the drive? And I said, well, now that you remind me, well, let me see what I can do. Right. I, I promise I could do it in a week or two. And, see how long it actually takes. So I, I put in about a week or two of, of work to just program out the uh, the pipeline that Bill described. And I think I already told Emily this, but it's it's kind of, it's really remarkable how you really just have Bill on the show too. It's really remarkable how, how that guy's brain works. Cause I, uh, I just went back to my previous emails from like four years ago. And I just looked at how he described the process, including the exact um, copy numbers that he was, uh, he wanted to use just to, just as a reference of how to get this started. And it was pretty much like word for word. It was already there. It was all in his brain, like from four years ago. He just didn't have a way to do it uh, without the, the programming. But I was like, man, like this is, it's all there, right? It's like this guy had it all thought out. So I just wrote it out, uh, uh, put in the put in the frames, did eight copy alignment uh, using the uh, the best copies, the most zoomed in, high resolution copies. Because um, all the other copies, they all have different levels of problems. There's eight copies in there that were uh, printed in slow-mo zoomed in. So they were already cropped to patty and printed four times a frame. So it was like two, two sources printed four times each, if that makes any sense. So it's eight total copies and each print technically is a different copy because the, that the, um, the forex zoom print produces a different uh, grain alignment. So yeah, yeah, I use those frames. Those are the best frames that include the look back and have the highest resolution. Uh, rendered, rendered that out, sent it to Jeff. And it kind of sat for a while, but I'm assuming because because Jeff's always got people asking him about shows. He's he's the guy to talk about if you have a show you want to do. Uh, he comes back a, maybe a couple months later and he asks, uh, "Hey, I got this lead. Uh, they might want they might want to do a PGS special. You know, can, you want you want to try to work with them?" And I said, "Yeah, why not?" And then we got Bill into it, and it took a while. I mean, we had to really convince them because uh, if you want to do anything with the PGF, technically the, the Patterson family still owns the uh, the license so then you got to pay them the licensing fee and uh, it's not cheap <laughs> so we had to convince them it was worth their time and like really sell the fact that hey we uh, they were they were worried they weren't going to be able to fill it out and our position was like hey we could fill two hours if you wanted us to it's easy you know there's so much stuff here we could talk about all the technical stuff we could talk about uh, all the anatomy we could talk about all the what you, what you can and can't do with the cost and like we have all the all the people here to do that right and yeah, I mean, we eventually got the show rolling. Unfortunately, I don't think we sold them on the hour concept because we filmed for six hours. And uh, the one thing we, we're probably going to get into later is we filmed for an entire day. We gave them head to toe six six and a half hours of material plus interviews with the um, 
uh, expectation or the assumption that, yeah, if you wanted to make an hour and a half out of this or whatever, like whatever you want to do, you know, go to town. And then they only use like eh, 15 minutes of us on screen time because they wanted to show the other clips, which, you know, I, I already told the producer during, um, during the uh, pre-production phase, like I wasn't a huge fan of, but at the same time, it's like, it's up to them. Right. We did, we did our, we did our part. I was pretty happy with how they showed our work, the parts that they did show. So I would rather be, I'd rather be in a position where I wish they had done more with what we, uh, what we showed rather than be like, damn, they showed too much because, uh, the, you know, cause it wasn't well done and I wasn't really proud of what, what came out. And that's not a good situation, situation to be in. So I was pretty happy with what they did. Uh, I kind of wish they would have showed more to give more clarity and, uh, a little bit more bang for the buck, if you will, where all the work that was put in and all the right, all, frankly, right. money that was invested into licensing the damn thing. But, uh, you know, they they were happy with it. I was pretty happy with it. So at the end of the day, like, you know, everybody wins to some extent. It's not perfect, but it's, it's never going to be. And uh, we're trying to make up for uh, the information that maybe was not conveyed due to time constraints uh, in places like this. And also, I'm going to write out a paper and uh, give it to Jeff for RHI, and people can go and look for themselves all the process. Right? This is all going to be super transparent. It's not, there's no black magic here that I'm going to hide and say, no, you, have to, you just trust me. Like I, I did some weird stuff to it. No, like I'm going to write it out, put it in a paper as. Uh, academics should and anybody who wants to look at it cross-reference uh cross-examine you're free to do so we're going to get into a little bit more of that but i mean that's i think that's fantastic this latest production on the history channel called the proof is out there uh a lot of people think oh all the work's been done on it in the past there's nothing new this is where you come in isaac you've done so much work on this film you know you are i'm very proud to say this you are an Olympic Project member. I was very fortunate in, uh, to see some of the, the work you had done on the, the Patterson-Gimlin film before it was ever aired. And I was truly blown away, truly blown away. So were you hesitant to join a network or join a production? What was your thoughts going into that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was. It's the first time I've done it. You know, for Bill and Jeff, it's not, it's not their first rodeo. Uh, but for me, obviously, like, Especially like around the airtime, I was telling you, I'm like, man, I'm getting really anxious about Friday because <laughs> yeah. you know, this is like what I don't even I don't know what the audience is like, but it's gonna be what like a primetime 10 p.m. airing on a Friday night on history. Like more people are gonna see my face and, and in my name than probably ever in my life, right? That's uh it's kind of anxious, it's kind of anxiety inducing. That being said, you know, nobody's doxed me yet, nobody's looked me up and sent me hate mail. So <laughs> I uh so far so good. You know, everything mostly positive at this point. Um feeling pretty good about what we did. Cause at the end of the day, it's about whether your work speaks for itself. And I was pretty happy with like for for everything that was that was left out and and uh, as disappointing as that was, just because like you film for six and a half hours or you want to see more of what you did shown for people rather than be like, damn it, we, we did that, I worked on it, I, we, I wrote it out, and uh we filmed it and yeah, it's, it's on the cutting room floor. It's too bad. But at the end of the day, it's like what what they did really well was they 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 didn't just show the film once and they start talking about it. Like every time we said something about it, they would go back, zoom in on the part we're talking about, show it over and over and over again. And that just lets the film speak for itself. You know, what, what, whether we talked about it or not, you can see for yourself what's on that film and what's on the screen. And you can you can make whatever conclusions you want, but I, I, but like you get to see what we did in pretty good detail because like they did a really good job of the editing and the presentation. So I think the work speaks for itself, and uh, I was really happy with how it turned out. But yeah, definitely that was uh, um, all the way through the production. Yeah, it's it was it was a little bit daunting, um, and I did go to Jeff a lot for advice and mentorship because he's been doing this thing for a while, both in the research sphere and the publication and media sphere. And I was asking him like, "Hey, man, like, <laughs> you know, is this is this cool? Is that cool? Like, am I going to get screwed over if I do this? Am I going to get am I going to get in trouble if I do that?" <laughs> yeah. Um, It'll turn out fine, you know, because because like I've heard bad things from from Jeff and from Derek and from you about production companies sometimes screwing you over and twisting your words. Um, and I'm really glad. Uh, I'm ha- really happy to say these guys didn't do any of that. Like they were very professional. We were treated very nicely. The hospitality on the set uh, when they brought us down to L.A. was really nice. It was really exceptional, actually, uh, more than I was expecting, because uh, uh, they basically gave Bill and I the same accommodations and treatment that they gave Jeff. And I was like, damn, I wasn't expecting any of this. Like I was expecting to just fly and get a, t- get a Taco Bell for lunch and, and I'd be on my <laughs> way. Right. So no, they were really good about it. It was a really good first experience. Uh, and thankfully none of those anxieties uh, were really warranted in the end. I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, a lot of these production companies want you to embellish stuff and, and, and truth be told, 
you know, the, the few times I've partaken in some of these TV endeavors, it's not about the fame. It's just about a platform. And what I think uh, the History Channel did for you in this production was give you a platform. So I'm sure you didn't walk away with a bundle of cash. None of us ever do. And that's one of the one of the things we get hit with is, is that we're in it for the fame or for the money. And I always, I mean, it's silly. Uh, there's no fame and there's no money. So basically, you're going in for the platform. I mean, that's that's what I do. What was when you agreed to do this? What was your intentions, you know, going into this? Pretty much like you said, it was to get a platform or to get people interested. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to write this up on a paper, right? But if you put it on RHI and Jeff posts on his Facebook, like some people might look at it, right? Maybe. But that's very different from getting this platform, having everybody seeing what we did and then maybe getting more interest and then going back and reading our paper, reading when Roger met Patty, reading the Munzer Report, reading Legend Meets Science and all this stuff, like really just getting getting that initial hook hook of interest in because that's what it took for me to get into this right it, it took people like jeff and bill going out there on tv I, I wouldn't know about their book otherwise right i wouldn't know about either of their books i wouldn't know about any of the stuff they wrote in the background so going on tv presenting what they do um in a very coherent and well-spoken manner like they like they can do because they're excellent speakers and very confident in front of a camera unlike me uh so yeah, just just hopefully getting what we did out there, letting the work speak for itself, and then cultivating some general g- genuine interest and in, in a curiosity from other people who might be like me out there, who you know either are my age or older or younger. You know, high school just like when I was, and they might look at this and go, "Hey, this is this is worth looking at." There, there's some there's some real professionalism being brought to the table, and this is worth getting into as opposed to getting scared away because all they see is, well. <laughs> you know, the other stuff. I won't, I won't elaborate too much there for fear of getting in trouble. <laughs> okay. So uh, we can talk a little bit more about this show you're on. The proof is out there, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was really good. I mean, uh, obviously all of your work on the Patterson Gimlin film wasn't made for the history channel. This is stuff you had in your pocket. You've already worked on. Uh, I know you shared some with me and a few others. Can you talk a little bit, Isaac, about the process and and why, I mean, really why you wanted to approach this? I mean, given your academic background, given your know-how, why you, you wanted to look at this film a little, a little more in depth and the process in which you, you contributed to uh, analyzing this film a little more in depth? Sure. Well, like the technical details or just kind of the whole front to back story? All of the above, whatever you want to talk about, all, all the, the above. above. I know of a lot of this stuff and a lot of this stuff, because it goes over my head, Isaac, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just not, this isn't my forte and a lot of what you, you shared with me and told me and, and it's above my pay grade. Uh, but in, in, I guess in layman's terms uh, for the audience, uh, you know, just kind of how you approach it, why you approached it. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, like why I did it, I guess, because I mean, basically because I could. Right. Um, there was that because the, the, the original sticking point was Bill wanted to do this for years. I mean, years and years, even before I met him. And he just couldn't because he didn't have the manpower. And it was an opportunity for me to bring something to, something to the table to make something happen that otherwise might not have. Because the sticking point was always, yeah, we, we need the we need the funding from a production company um, to get this rolling. And it's always easier to sell a product than to sell promises. And it, you know, it, it was fairly... I put probably like 50, 60 hours up front um, to make it happen, which is not, I mean, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it kind of is a lot, but it's like a week, two weeks of my free time. Right. And it's relatively cheap compared to what otherwise it would have taken without all the algorithms and whatnot. So yeah, that's kind of why I decided just to get the ball rolling. I mean, we could wait forever for somebody to, to agree to, to take a risk and, and fund our project, or we could just do the work and try to sell that to somebody. And I figured that was probably easier and more uh, likely to succeed. Uh, and it was doable, right? If it was like a 300 hour project, that's a different story, but this is fairly doable given what I uh, understood about what needed to be done at the time. Uh, and so I already described the process of, of why it works, which is you have multiple different copies of the film. They're, they're all degraded, but in different ways. And if you remember from, from that diagram, right? Those, that diagram that I, that, that I was shown, I, I provided them and they, uh, I provided that diagram for them and they, they made it prettier. It's it's something I pulled off of a disc defragmentation uh, tutorial. Like, I don't know if you know what people even know what that means anymore. Cause everybody's in solid states these days, right. but back in the day where right, you had these, these spinny uh, hard drive platters, in your computer, 
and where the the data the bits were physically written on that magnetic disk kind of determined how fast the uh, the disk read. So if you wanted to make everything anyway, I'm, I'm getting I'm going off on a tangent. So basically, I was showing you the, the pieces where the data was, and that, that turned out to be a, a really good visual for for the film because each copy just had holes in different areas, and if you add all the holes to, if you add all the copies together, the holes get filled in. Right by all the different copies. Like if at least most of the copies or some of the copies have that information, uh, and where there was a hole, where there was a piece of noise, that hole gets overwritten because that hole is only present in, let's say, in our case, one out of eight copies. So if there was noise there, it, that noise is, is suppressed by a, a factor of one out of eight, and everything that's that's a common detail. Right? If there's a if there's a a couple pixels that were common across all the copies, that gets strengthened. So that that becomes a factor of one, and everything under it, everything that's only um, unique to one copy or two copies, right? It's, it's, it becomes a factor of one out of eight, one out of four. So now we have um, a much better signal to, noise, signal to noise ratio, basically how much real data we're seeing versus how much noise, how much static and scratching and damaging we have. Yeah. Uh, so when you're able to then amplify that signal to noise ratio by aligning all the film copies, then you're able to get this much more closer to the original camera uh, version. Now it's not, it's not exactly perfect. You know, if you compare that, uh, that frame to that, that famous uh, 352 print with the, uh, I think it was like a four by five inch print. So it was, it was one of the first generation prints uh, that was a four by five. And it was basically that, that was basically what the, uh, the background image basically, right. That's what the film would have looked like if we had the original copy, which we don't, you're still seeing that the, uh, even what I've done afterwards, there's still some blurring because you can't really quite get back to all the original. It tends to smooth out some of the noise instead of completely get rid of it. Uh, but it's much closer than anything we've had in the past. And as far as how that was done, so um, I mentioned that if you were to do it by hand, right, you would be in Photoshop spending maybe 30 minutes on every single frame because you have eight copies and you have to figure out how to align those eight copies perfectly to each other by rotating and translating it uh, in the plane. And that's going to take forever, right? You got like, I did that. The clip we made was 150 frames of the film and eight copies. So if you need to do 150, uh, 150 uh, frames and it, t- it takes you maybe let's say an hour right just to align each frame like that's that's like 150 hours just, just to do the manual labor uh, that, that's too much and it's not repeatable because <laughs> if you do it once and you screw something up or you want to do, do it for a different piece of film you have to do it all over again that's work invested that's not going to be uh able to be repeated so my objective was to take all that and instead of doing it by hand uh with with some crew of a uh, crew of uh mechanical turkers or something that you just hire online uh, my, my goal was to do it with, a, with an algorithm because if you, if you write it once and it works, you can repeat it as many times as you want and it's much uh, lower investment of time and it's always going to give you much, much more returns because if you want to use that same technology on other pieces of the film, great, you already have it written. The programming is just, it's more or less substituting what your eyes would do uh, and adding a couple of extra features that you can't do. Uh, so what I mean by that is, uh, so let's say, let's talk about the alignment first, right? When we, we showed this briefly, uh, what they showed it briefly on the uh, on the program, and how that works is uh, there are, are there's a lot of papers out there. There's a lot of work that's been done in the last twenty years in computer vision on how to get a computer to recognize features. Uh, it's it's how your phone recognizes your face, right? Like you can you can unlock your phone with your face these days, and there's feature detectors built into your camera or built built into your phone where it looks at the picture of your face and it recognizes these features, and it can uh, mathematically determine whether that's you or not. Right. We have algorithms that can, that can recognize uh, whether there's a person uh, on, the, on the frame and where that person is. Very important for self-driving cars, for example. Uh, now it's old news, but back in the day, right, you could, you could, teach, uh, you could um, throw a bunch of images in a computer and ask the, image, uh, ask the computer to classify the image. Is it a cat, a dog, a person, a horse, a car, whatever? Um, right? That was a big deal about eight years ago uh, when the AlexNet paper came out. So uh, feature detection, anyway, going off on a tangent again, but it's, it's, it's based on feature detection. And it's actually a very primitive version of it because this, this, these, uh, I'd call them dumb feature detectors because they're not really any kind of learning algorithm that's doing any classification. It's just where are the features, um, as in where are the edges, where are the points, where are the corners, where are the, uh, um, uh, like if you, if you look at a, it's hard to show this without. Uh, right, right, right. But understood. Uh, yeah, but but like the computer uh, basically is is looking through the the image and and looking for all the features on on all the images, and then those features get some kind of identifier based on uh, their mathematical properties. Again, it's hard for me to show this. If you want to know what uh, how that works, go look at the SIF paper by David Lowe. 
2004 UBC. Uh, SIFT is uh, scale invariant feature transform. All right, so you, so you put all the images. So for each frame, you got eight copies. You put all these uh, copies through the SIFT algorithm, and it gives you an array, this giant list of where the features are and what the orientation and, and scale and all that stuff is. Okay, and once you have those, uh, you can, for each image, align them to each other. Because if you have the same image, but just moved and like moved and disturbed in some way, right? They should have more or less the same feature uh, vector. And you're, you're, you're just curious. You're just trying to find out how to align all those features together so that they line up uh, in X, Y coordinates, right? And for that, you just throw it into um, a mathematical operation that solves for the, for the, uh, the, the uh, rotational transformation. And this is going to, this is why it is going to be better than what's been done in the past, because I'm pretty sure what's been done in the past is you just take the, uh, image. It's pretty much how, as we described, right? You take the image, you try to align it by hand, and you can only imagine putting a piece of paper on your table and then just turning it. That's a one-dimensional rotation. And what you can do when you have these mathematical alignments, you have two sets of features, and you ask for the uh, the uh, it's called a homography. Uh, it's, you're solving for a 4D matrix that does the uh, four-dimensional uh, rotation translation scale. Uh, for you, and that's like being able to take that frame, pick it off the table, and then rotate it anywhere in a uh, 3D space, and also stretch and shrink it. Right? It's it's and it's and and move it also, you know, mm-hmm. translation. So it's just much more, many more degrees of freedom than you can achieve by hand, and it's just much more accurate also because it is a mathematically optimal alignment for each frame. So you do that for each frame, and then you merge them down, and you get some result that is a composite of all the frames. It's going to look kind of weird in the color uh, in the color scheme because uh, essentially all these prints have different. I'm not really sure what the uh, process for copying a film is, but they have different color biases. Some of them look kind of pink. Some of them look, look kind of green. Um, and you want to make them all roughly look equal. So you, you do a, a color transformation between. Uh, for me, it was three frame uh, frame three fifty four, the look back frame, to the background canvas, which is. The, the big uh, four by five print that I used to, to, to um, as a reference uh, point. You solve for the um, the uh, red, green, blue values, a linear transformation, just Y equals MX plus B mm-hmm. for each color channel from the merged um, from the merged uh, frames to the background frames, right? and then and you apply it to all the frames. That's going to warp the colors in some way to make it look as close to the uh, close to the background frame as you can. Um, so it's going to get rid of most of that red tinting that that you, that you would otherwise see. And then the last step is to, to use that same alignment process. So before I was aligning eight frames to each other. So I, was, I would take the first frame, align uh, the first copy and align the other seven copies to it, merge them down. Now I take that merged uh, copy, right? That merged final frame, uh, color correct it. And then I align that to the background canvas. And the background canvas is that super high resolution four by five uh, frame 354 print. Same process. Identify all the features uh, from the source to the target, and then paste that frame in three-dimensional space into the, uh, the scene of frame 354. And again, th- and this is where that three-dimensional transformation matters a lot because when you actually film the scene, right? When Roger was had that camera, he wasn't standing still. He was running around. It was shaking around. He was, yeah. <laughs> you know, moving it, rotating it. And if you were to try to align this by hand and do the thing where, like I said before, you put the piece of paper on the table and you only can shift it around and then rotate it in the plane of the table, you're going to be missing all that twisting and turning, that three-dimensional motion and the scaling, right? When he, when he moves closer into the frame, the frame gets smaller. So you're missing all those degrees of freedom. And the algorithm gives you that. For each for each 150 um, merged uh, merged frames, you, you, do, you do the feature alignment and identification, and then you do the transformation after a mathematical solve, you get the the the, the most optimal alignment from the um, the merged frame to the background. So you're you're getting that twisting, and it's it's able to account for all that. Uh, and yeah, that was basically the process. And it's also in much higher resolution than it's been in the past because I know some people have brought up uh, issues about the uh, algorithm injecting false pixels, basically, right by yeah, well, right they. What I've seen online and in, in comments under uh, some of these shows or the show itself, but under different uh, websites and whatnot was that, uh, you know, people argue about AI, you know, artificial intelligence and, and how it did, uh, you know, can bring in artifacts. Can you talk a little bit more in depth about that? Because that's super important. So, yeah. So the people who are mentioning that the uh, AI algorithms can in, in, uh, inject artifacts, they're not wrong. 
it's actually a, a pretty decent understanding, uh, a pretty decent evaluation on the surface of some of the potential problems with these. Um, and it's been seen in the past where right? there's been a couple of YouTube videos where people have taken um, some other copy, uh, like something they found on YouTube or from a discovery channel uh, clip, ran it through an AI and got that slow motion stabilized um, rendition. And you could, if you, if you look at it, it's very pixely looking and there's a lot of weird crap going on, uh, going on along the edges. So it's definitely a concern. I didn't do any super sampling with these frames. Uh, the frames were photographed by Bill Mons with a, uh, what is it, a Nikon? Some kind of DSLR digital camera. And it's taking, it, it takes those, um, those pictures and I think greater than 4K resolution. So those, those frames have more than 4K resolution. I am aligning them and pasting them in 3D space to a background that has like five or 6K resolution. And then I'm cutting out a 4K. So a 30, what is it? 3640. Um, I don't know if people will care about this, but 3840 by 2160 pixel square out of that. Uh, and then assembling the, uh, assembling the, uh, the final video out of that. I think I actually even zoomed it in a little bit more because when I, when I did the 4k cut, it was still too big. Um, like the patty was still too small in the frame. So I zoomed it in even mm-hmm. more and made a 4k out of that. Uh, so I'm not, if anything, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm downsampling. I'm not upsampling at all. So there's no, there's no, um, individual frames where this false detail on the, on the original frame set, right? I'm talking about the original 16 frames a second video, which is what all the analysis was done on. When I was, when we were on set, everything we were talking about, I had the, um, uh, the frame sequence keyed up frame by frame. And anything we were talking about, I would just click through one by one, the 150 frames that we actually processed and aligned and stabilized. And none of that had any artifacts on it because it wasn't upsampled uh, in resolution. So there's no pixel stretching or pixel upsampling. And it wasn't frame interpolated. That's a different thing, right? There's, there's pixel upsampling where you take the individual frame and you, uh, you, you uh, multiply the resolution by two or three or whatever in both directions. And you're, you're basically taking the original picture, you're blowing it up and you're filling in the blanks uh, with the AI, with the uh, ML algorithm. We didn't do that uh, at all. Uh, the frame interpolation is when you take two, two adjacent frames and you fill in a frame in the middle, an entirely new frame. You do that to make the, to make the playback smoother, right? To go from 16 to 32 frames a second and then, and then, and then to show it on TV at 30 frames a second. Um, so we did do that for the purposes of getting that smooth playback. And I even made a 64 frames a second version and I passed it to the producer and I said, if you want to do a slow mo, use this one because you can play the slow mo 64 frames a second rendition at 32 and it'll look in slow mo and it'll look smooth. That's right. You, you, you probably blew his mind. <laughs> Well, they, they pulled it off for the most part. Um, I, I, I did specify, uh, during the, uh, the behind the scenes, uh, conversations. I said, Hey, if you show anything on screen of the, of like a blow up of the analysis, make sure you use the original frame set. Because if you, if you show, uh, one of the slow mos or one of the, uh, the smooth out versions, you're going to get some artifacts like the arm disappearing every now and again, because these algorithms are really good at interpolating smooth motion, but very fast swinging motion, like the arm swing or sometimes the leg, the, the, the leg swing. Uh, sometimes like the arm just disappears right during one of the intermediate frames and it looks like it's like warping or teleporting and that's mm-hmm. gonna people, all sorts of weird ideas. So I said, make sure you, you only use the 16 frame a second version or the individual frame clicks. Uh, if you're going to show that there were a couple of times when, like when they were showing the foot, right. They, they, um, I noticed they did use the um, 30, I think the 64. So the super high, the slow, super slow-mo smoothed out version to show the foot that the toe elevation or the toe uh, dorsiflexion. And when we were talking about it, we were using the individual frames. So if you look at the individual frames, the original frames, that, 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 that toe lift, that dorsiflexion, uh, the curl, or the upwards curl is there. Uh, and then they, when they showed it, they showed the smooth version and then people were like, yeah, well, this is the smooth version. And, you know, maybe, maybe it was fake. So I, I get that yeah. criticism. Um, the, the way it was originally done, I, I mean, we accounted for that. We told the producers about how to, how to show that, uh, and to avoid some, um, uh, to avoid the unnecessary confusion. And so that was one thing where, you know, there's a little bit of um, inaccuracy, maybe not intentionally introduced, right? Like um, it just kind of just happened. But yeah, the, the long story short is there is no pixel interpolation. Uh, those frames are native 4K, as in they were bigger than 4K and I cut them down to 4K. So they weren't stretched out or uh, blown up at all by the AI algorithm. And then the frames were interpolated for the smoothed out version, but we did not do any analysis on the actual interpolated frames. 
right? You can look at the thing, you look at it playing in, in smoothed 32 frames a second. You see something you're interested in, you go back to the original frames and you see, is, is that there? You, you click around, you see, you say, is that there? Right. Was that leg jiggle there? Was that toe lift there? Was the, was the, uh, shoulder blade slide there? Was any of that there? And you look for it. And if it's there, then, then you're good to go. Right. Um, and also I should say when things get introduced as noise, it's usually very random looking. It looks like static, uh, maybe like a blob, a blur. And then in the case of the frame interpolation, usually pieces go missing because it can't track the way these things work. It tracks the, um, it's called optical flow. Right, it tracks the uh, the features across different frames and how they move. And when you have a very fast, I tested this a little bit with myself throwing a football. They didn't show it, even though I gave it to them, I gave the video to them to show it. Of course, I didn't have time, but it looked really good, except for a couple frames where my arm just sort of disappeared, and then the football disappeared, right? Because they're both very fast moving objects, uh, and the algorithms have have trouble tracking that. But they're not, it's not going to usually introduce anything that looks like structured detail, just because noise tends to be random, artifacts tend to be random. They don't tend to look like something that's actually physical uh so it's a legitimate criticism uh i I think we did our due due diligence to to make sure we weren't analyzing fake information Mm -hmm. um because again we didn't do any of that on set right i made sure we were clicking through the original frame set uh and where it does introduce the uh the noise it's going to be in the intermediate frames of the uh, frame interpolation and it's usually going to look like yeah something like a body part disappearing or a disconnect from the from the body or like a random blob somewhere yeah, yeah, no, understood. And but it it is absolutely fascinating listening to you talk about this. And in this uh, production on this TV show on History Channel, the the proof is out there. You know, they included. I mean, you guys filmed for basically a whole day, over six hours. There was a lot of stuff included in the show, but there was a lot of stuff left out of the show. Can you, Isaac, talk a little bit about some of your, you know, some of the stuff that that was left out of the show that you kind of wish was in there or, you know, that uh, you were, uh, that you had worked on that was just not included. Man, that would take all day. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in there I could go into, uh, but they did miss pretty much the entire upper body discussion. Cause we talked about how uh, a couple parts of it, like the most important ones. Um, I'm pretty sure we can see something that looks like a shoulder blade slide on the, on the right shoulder blade area. If you look in, right before the look back and right before and after the look back, right. The arm is swinging around like crazy. And, uh, the, the, the right shoulder blade, it looks like it's moving, uh, like sliding around a little bit. And now that I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you could, you could say because you're looking at that in in the smooth motion, right. That could be some kind of artifact or warping introduced by the, uh, the the interpolation. Uh, and if you go back in the 16 frames and you click it through, uh, it's a little harder to see because it's such a small detail. And it looks much choppier in 16 frames. I'm pretty sure it's there. Uh, I can't be certain. I'm like 80% sure that, that it's something that's, uh, probably legitimate. Cause, cause there's something that, there's something that is on the film that looks that, that the, uh, interpolation is basing it on. Um, but whether that, that movement is, is really there, whether it's just, uh, you know, some lump on the body, I'm not really sure. They didn't talk about the deltoid muscle at all. Uh, like the 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 um the shoulder area and the 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 uh the tricep area right the upper part of your arm because during that entire arm swing sequence you can see what looks to, again to me like a pretty defined uh muscle muscle cut uh right by that, that by that shoulder area and then the more important thing is that when it turns uh you can see the three dimensional profile of that right like you can see kind of that there's like a little indentation. Like if you were to just flex your arm, you see like those really buff guys of the football players. Yeah. They have those lines on their arms and then it turns around and it rounds out because it's not just a line. It's like, it's a curve, right? You look at it from the back. It looks like a, it looks like a shadow. Like there's, there's a shadow being cast by the sun and it turns and then it rounds out. You can kind of see how, how in almost, it's like probably the 180 degree view, how that, how that um, arm profile turns. It looks kind of flat and smooth and round. And then it turns back around. You get that, you get that cut again, right? You get that uh, indentation. Uh, they'd left out the armpit, both the front and the back of it, because um, essentially, if you had any kind of um, the the creases, these these uh, what do you call it? Oh, man, there's there's a term for it that Bill would know, but it's like the crotches, right? Both of the pants under the armpit, like where, where these uh these seams would usually have to join if you had a sweater or a shirt on. Um, those those types of things tend to not be very skin tight, especially back in the day. Uh, these days you could do it a lot easier with stretch fur and, uh, uh, spandex and whatnot. Uh, that wasn't really a thing back in the day because they were working with very inflexible, stiff material. 
again, Bill is this is second hand for Bill and all. Like, don't be like, I don't want someone someone who's actually a clothing expert or a makeup expert. Like, yeah, this, guy's, yeah. this guy's full of crap. But like, this is second hand for Bill. But those t- those types of materials tend not to conform to these really really uh, mobile and complex areas of your body because they have to stretch and move and 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 um and then adhere to basically this this little little crease right this crotch area of your armpit and if you had any kind of material like that i mean you could just look at your own if whatever shirt you're wearing right now right and i like guess there's some kind of creasing and bagging there because if it's completely skin tied to your armpit you got no breathing room and your arm's not going to be able to move very well unless it was like made of very stretchy material and even then right even then like you put on you put on like a very skin tight um, compression shirt and you move your arm around you can see some kind of creasing there because it's, it's not going to feel like skin and what we see on the film if you look at it really carefully well what you don't see more or less is any kind of that creasing you see like a very smooth contour that looks like what you would expect if it was the front of an armpit connecting to the, pe- the pectoral muscle uh, from the front when it turns around and from the back right when it's, that, there's considerable it's not hang, it's not holding the arm still and hanging there because if it was doing that and you wanted to hide the fact that there was fabric bunching in that area, you would just hold the arm still. But that arm is swinging about as about as hard as you could probably swing that arm. And there's not really anything you see there uh, in broad daylight, direct sunlight. You can't really see any evidence of creasing or of any, of any kind of fabric bunching in, in that crease area. Right. I thought that yeah. was really important. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, that's such a valid point that's not brought up enough. It's just the fluidity, fluidity of the, the, the motion of the body and there's not a whole lot of creases. It looks like the skin. It just does. It looks like muscle and skin uh, and very natural, at least in my opinion. And so my next question to you, I know you've done a lot of work on this, this film. One of the things I, that I'm very thankful for, Isaac, is that you're, you've never had, like, say, a, uh, an epitome. You never had a Sasquatch encounter or sighting. You approach this from a scientific mindset. You're interested in it. And you're very skeptical, but uh, where do you sit with the Patterson-Gimlin film? I mean, you know, percentile-wise, do you think this is a, the Patty, Patty, do you think she was a living, breathing Sasquatch entity? Or is there a possibility that it was a living, breathing human in a costume? Well, there's a, there's not a short answer to this. So I'll give you the long one. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Where to start? I don't think I'll ever fully be at peace with the, uh, with the, you know, the, the, the answer of whether there is such, there's an animal out there or not until I see one. And that might never happen. Understood. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. Jeff hasn't seen one. Bill hasn't seen one and they're far more deserving of it than I am. And they've been around for far longer. So there's always going to be that question. Uh, that being said, you don't need every piece of evidence to, that comes out to be real. You know, people get this mixed up. People think it's like keeping score in a basketball game. Whoever scores more points is the winner. That's not the way this works, right? If everything is bullcrap and there's one piece of evidence that's legitimate, then it makes the question worth asking. And for me, the biggest, that biggest piece is, is, is the PGF because it's the most compelling for me. Now, I mean, there's footprints and everything too. And I think that's, um, that's really, uh, compelling as well. Uh, that being said, I'm not a footprint expert, right? I think it takes somebody with some kind of anatomical credentials to really appreciate what Jeff has to say about the footprint anatomy. And while I, I, uh, and th- this is kind of how, how I'm going to, frame my answer on the pgf because just like with the footprints right i have a lot of confidence in, in uh, dr meldrum's uh professional opinion on the footprints and on how uh, they'd be very hard or impossible to fake with something that's very inflexible like a, like a piece of wood and how it looks like there's both evidence of uh real interaction and flex and flexion and and pronation and all that with the ground and how that you know why he thinks that is um telling and evidence of, of a living biological structure and not you know something that was just printed in rubber and i have a lot of you know i have no reason to i have no reason to uh dispute that claim i also have no personal expertise or qualification to corroborate it right it's like it's like it's like if you and derek go to the bar right and 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 you're like hey derek my doctor says my liver has a has like has some problems right i like cirrhosis or some crap i should probably lay off the booze hey what do you think you know, do you think I have liver cirrhosis? He's like, geez, I don't know. I'm not that kind of doctor. Next round's on me. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he's not really like, you know, I'm not really qualified to, to dispute that. So I will say I have a lot of confidence in, in, in Bill and Jeff's analysis. And, but I also don't have any uh, personal qualification to 
say, Hey, I'm also a costume expert. I'm also an anatomy expert. I can, I can vouch for what they're saying as being true, right? It's, it's just, it's a little bit out of the scope of what I do. So I try to leave it to them. That being said, having looked at it over and over again, right? It's just, and as an opinion, my personal opinion is unless I can go back in time and stay on that riverbank or on that creek, on that creek bed, I can't tell you 100% if it's real or not. Uh, I will absolutely say that it is not any kind of cheap or easy fake because I think what we're looking at with the tools that we're looking at it with, uh, I don't think anybody could have. I mean, even like back then for sure, couldn't have imagined we'd be doing it. And even now, I would say probably can't, right? Because a lot of people, you know, I'm explaining how I did this thing to you. And there's been a lot of people who have tried to do something similar in the past and have Mm -hmm. done it by hand. And I will, I'm not saying this to, to disparage them, by the way, like the guys like MK Davis and, and uh, everybody who, who's, who's attempted this in the past, right? Like there's a, there's a saying that I think it was by Newton. If I've seen far, it's because I still on the shoulders of giants and all that, right? Like these guys paved the way. These guys showed what was possible with the film as a proof of concept, doing it by hand, stabilization to the best of their ability and pointing things out. And then I took that, got inspired by what they did. So, Hey, maybe there, maybe there's something here to do something here to look at. And then I took the next step with the uh, newest technology. Right. So it's like, there's, there's no, there's no pointing finger saying, ha, I did better than, you know, like I'm really grateful for what they did. And, but for them, I would not be doing what I'm doing, you know? So what do you want people to take away from your work on the Patty film? And what do you think your contribution down the road will be, or what do you want it to be? Well, um, I don't want to sound like a politician here, so I want to make sure I, I, I give you a satisfactory answer to the previous question, and which was, <laughs> I can't, I can't, like, so people don't accuse me of beating around the bush. Like, I can't tell you yes or no 100% without being there. Um, but I, I'm absolutely sure, like, I, I will defend that as not a cheap or easy fake. And if somebody um, can or wants to claim that it was some kind of fake, I, I want them to tell me or show me how, how, how it was done, you know, because uh, it looks really good to me. And I don't really know have have the credit credentials to say it, it could or could not have been, but it looks really good to me, and uh, I, I, I'm curious to see how it was done. If people want to claim that it could be done, uh, so yeah, that's that's my answer to that. It's it's obviously kept me interested for this long, you know. It's uh, and as and that leads me to my next answer, which is what what do I want people to take away? Well, I want people to have a have a serious discussion about it, right? I think it's I think it's worth talking about. I think it's worth looking at. I know it's old. And people will say, "Oh, it's so old. There's there's nothing to talk about." Well, you know, it hasn't really been looked at looked at in this way, at in this detail before. Uh, and people have, again, like I said, well, with MK Davis and have done previous stabilizations. They've tried to do uh, what they could with it, and 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 I feel like what we've done maybe adds onto that just a little bit more. And if it at least gives people the inspiration to go, "Oh, wow, that looks really cool." You know, like for me, when I saw some of those for the first time, I went, "Oh, wow, that's really cool." I thought it was just a picture. You're telling me there's there's a minute of film we can look at and analyze. Like th- this is really uh, worth talking about. Uh, then we can have this discussion of okay, if people want to say it's real, please somebody else other than other than Jeff come in and and defend it and give their uh, background, right? Somebody other than Bill who knows how costume how costuming is done or makeup is done, come in and and, and defend it and say, hey, this couldn't have been done. This could have been done uh, this this way or the other. Somebody who wants to argue that it was faked, right? Instead of just going, oh, you know, just that was a cheap fake. Anybody could have done it. Like, no, like that. I will absolutely defend is not true. Show me how it was done. I want to know. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that to, to, to shoot you down. I'm saying like, I genuinely want to know what, how you think it was done. If you thought, if you thought it could be done, we only have an hour or whatever. And like the, the reason why I said, yeah, you know, I, I talked about just the arm and the shoulder blade, right. It took me like 15 minutes. I didn't talk about um, the NATO cleft, right. That, that thing, if you look at it really closely, it's not, a, it's not, some people were saying, Oh yeah, it was like, a, it was an artifact and one frame they found. Um, no, that's also not true. They didn't talk about this, but we filmed it. If you look at the film, the butt cheeks rub together when, when it steps. That's something I don't, I don't think you could see on previous renditions because it wasn't stable enough. But the two halves of the glutes, uh, to me, it looks like they, they, they um, rub opposite of each other during each step. Because the steps are pretty long, right? If you take these long strides, right? Like the, the, oh, absolutely. The, the yeah. yeah. The cleft is going to move. So. You know, that, that's something where they didn't show that some people were, had something to say about, hey, yeah, that, the crack wasn't really there. No, it was there and it moves. So, you know, I want people to, I want people to, to argue about, hey, you know, how, how, how would you do that? Right. Cause that means it's not, it's not like your, your pants where you have a, you have a hard seam there that's inflexible and it stretches across, um, <laughs> you know, this our way to show here, but stretching across the surface of your butt, you know, you see someone wearing leggings at the gym and 
usually like even with very very tight pants you don't get that indentation because you know it's not very comfortable to have your pants the seam of your pants all the way up and look crack right <laughs> right so, yeah um uh, the knee was the most important part to me i, I felt like uh there might have been evidence of a kneecap there's definitely what i think and what jeff we filmed this jeff talked about if you reach on the outside of your knee right and, and you kind of and you tighten your you kind of tighten your knee a little bit or you tighten your thigh you can feel a tendon on the outside of your knee on both sides it runs from your hamstring uh, across your knee down to your uh, down to your shin I forgot what the term for that was because Jeff said it on the show, and I guess they decided it was too technical for uh, to 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 uh, present. Um, but there is that tendon there, and if you um, if you see on the look back frame where it takes that giant step and the leg kind of jiggles, uh, you can see that tendon kind of pop. Right, the tendon kind of pops out. The knee changes shape a little bit, and then the, when the when the knee when the leg hits on the ground, the, the like the entire lower leg calf area it uh, grows in size because. You know, which it's what you'd expect if you have something that's like a slack muscle, then all of a sudden taking a bunch of weight and then shuddering in response. And more importantly, that knee area again, same as the, uh, the armpit area, right? You, that's, that's a part of the body where you would not expect, um, a skin tight perfect fit. Uh, because even if you're wearing like leggings, you're going to see some kind of bunching. You're going to see some kind of, um, that, that kind of like that, that rolly, uh, Pillsbury effect. Oh, yeah. You just have, you yeah. just have fabric bunching during the step you don't see any of that on the film right i want to know how that was done if you want to claim that was that was easy to do there are so many minute details in that film this to me should be more of an academic conversation you're really creating a discussion not so much an argument you mentioned an argument earlier but it should be a real good discussion to quote bill on something he says all the time if you're going to have a discussion about the film discuss what's actually on the film and i'm hoping just to, to make that e- make it that much easier for people to discuss, right? Actually have a clean copy and discuss what's on the film. Don't make up random crap about what is and isn't there. And a huge part of that objective that you asked me about is, is yeah, I want to bring not just the people who are interested in uh, the film already to discuss it, but more people from the outside who might be more qualified, like more, more guys, like, like for me, right. I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for Jeff because he, he was, he put himself out there. He put his face on TV. He put his papers out there. And it inspired me to get interested. And if I could do that for somebody else, and we bring a bit more academic rigor to the topic, and we bring more people from the outside to actually participate, and we elevate that that baseline level, we elevate the the quality of discussion uh, because we're we're challenging people to actually discuss right what, at, at, with scientific rigor and, and discipline what we're seeing, and not on just the film, but everything about the topic. Then that then I'll consider that a success. Right? If I if I if I inspire someone else to take up the uh take up arms shall we say and and uh throw themselves in there because uh we need more of that you know if it weren't for jeff putting himself out there i wouldn't be here and i would like to repeat that for somebody else and and keep the uh keep the discussion going yeah no well said well said and and i'm i'm very much looking forward to you know i know you've done a lot of work with the patterson gimlin film but your future is very bright you're a very intellectual very smart individual so isaac when do you when are you going to produce this paper on the Patterson, your work on the Patterson Gimlin film? When's it going to be uh, available to the public? Man, uh, I've been putting this off for a while because I keep on having stuff to do and I keep on telling Jeff, yeah, I'll give you a draft next week. I'll give you a draft next week. So um, I'm going to try to take some time and see if I can draft it out sometime before Christmas. And uh, if I can't, definitely January. Um, and if that doesn't happen, I want you to ping me on Facebook or call me and say, yo, where's that paper? Because <laughs> uh, I've, I've, been, I've been kind of, uh, I've been passing the potato off for a while now and uh just asked me a couple times already and always had stuff to do so yeah hold me accountable i know you can do it yep i will try i'll try my best but uh yeah thanks again for joining me tonight i'm looking forward to having you back on because i know there's more to talk about isaac thank you so much for joining me you're welcome if people want to hear it i'll i'm happy to talk about it just let me know whenever
thank you for joining Monster X Radio. 